Well, hello everybody. Good afternoon and welcome to Sunday Sessions. It's the 11th of April, 2021. Well, thank you all uh, for taking time for joining me, joining us for our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this within your favorite sanctuary space, and expressing inspired visions from your sanctuary through your poetry, writing, arts, crafts, performance, and of course, problem solving. Now, today's Sunday sessions, this was the second most popular Sunday session when I presented this last year, so I trust you'll enjoy it as much today. And this is uh, Discovering the She, a folklore-based uh, visualization. And uh, through today, we'll be exploring what the she world is and what does it really mean, and uh, what the Celtic Romance uh, revival thought of the she and the fairy folk, and then, of course, the popular tour, the Donnan story, and the variations on this. Now, the different she people are shared by different storytellers. There's um, many expressions and ways of talking about the she. But using the, uh, often the fairy world is used as a tool for fear-mongering amongst the most famous is perhaps the stolen child story. And we'll be coming back to that uh, later on. And then uh, during the sort of church era, we've uh, had the fallen angels. And uh, then, of course, we'll be featuring Tiern and Org as well, the white horses of Tiern and Org. And also, of course, we've got to be talking about the kayak, or kayak, the builder of the she mounds. Uh, there's Elamaka there um, up in the north. And uh, we'll be going into the fairy faith and how we actually may be living this. Now, guests today, uh, we've got some uh, lovely guests, of course. And uh, we got Irish hype maker Brian Callan. He hasn't joined us yet, but here's a picture of him. He was on Nationwide, which is a popular show in Ireland, and demonstrating uh, his wonderful harp craft there. And uh, thinking of the uh, magic uh, of the sheep, plus last week covering a bit of the three trees, the enchantment of the bard, somehow segue from she to harp seems natural. Um, for us to do today. It's hard to imagine she stories without half enchantment in my mind. Plus, of course, I wanted an excuse to feature heartmaker Brian Callan uh, to this show. And uh, hopefully he, he'll find his way here soon, which would be fantastic. And then after Brian Callan, uh, she's already on the backstage here. We have the beautiful Sandra Parker, who's a lovely singer harpist whose most recent album is the very pretty and enchanting Call of the Fairy. And uh, we have the return of the lovely Claire Roach, who's going to beautifully perform The Stolen Child. What else uh, for us? Of course, we've got to feature that. And we'll have a panel session today. So join us with your questions for answers, and hopefully everyone here will be joining uh, the panel. And uh, let's see who's here. Uh, and so we can say hello to you. Um, we have Candice uh, here coming through YouTube. Good morning, 
from North Carolina, a subject that you're going to enjoy. And just down the road from us, we've got Denise and Didier, who are almost sort of neighbors, and uh, Shell Gooch as well. So thank you uh, for joining us. It's a funny sort of day here. It's kind of sunny. We've had a bit of snow this morning. <laughs> uh cloudy uh, it's pretty cold this is why i'm inside i say about uh being in your sanctuary but that's something that uh, we're not uh kind of able to do now i've got to do a bit of adjustment because we've got a fairly busy screen and uh maybe uh we've got um uh, brian here and i i know he isn't i'm gonna make the screen so i can actually see him when he turns up that will do that uh fabulous uh, let's get uh, out of that. But thank you. Oh, we got someone else turned up. We got Marie uh, from uh, Dolny Key uh, from Canada. Lovely. Uh, thank you again. We'll come back uh, to your comments. It's lovely that uh, uh, you're all here. Well, these Karakori Sunday sessions and the Karakori Labyrinth uh, are all brought to you by a... a Thanks to the contributions of the Patreon subscribers because of the subscriptions I need to do to bring this sort of show to you now. So thank you for your support. Uh, as I may not be here this afternoon hosting this if it wasn't, uh, is. But uh, I'll make the start here. Uh, and no, we haven't got Brian yet. Now, the she itself, it doesn't seem to be a word that's been tempered with too much over the centuries, which which is very good uh, for this kind of folklore. And there are so many uh, new... Uh, well, let's go back to the... Um, really, it's going back to the early 19th century, probably if there were changes. One of the trends that fascinates me is how the printing presses started to come down in price. So early uh, 19th century, as I've mentioned on Sunday sessions before, People could set up printing businesses in their homes or in sheds in their gardens. And a lot of these uh, new small business printers, they printed up folklore that was popular. And often people would get the broadsheets and they'd be told a bit different. And uh, these printers needed to sell their printing. So they actually printed these stories. They changed them a bit into a way that they hope would actually sell. And here's a, a lovely picture of a broadsheet seller. Uh, even the mama's plays, the stories, the songs, people would take these, they would get their friends around at home, and uh, they would make their own interpretation. W.B. Yeats, uh, that's definitely what he would have done. And he's quite uh, famous for his presentation of the she. So, uh, as I say, I'm sorry, I've got a technical issue here, but we'll get over that. Uh, so from this, the Celtic Romanticism culture grew. The groups met in their homes or even small halls. They reenacted, they reinterpreted all this new printed material and made it their own. But many of us think of the she today as another way of saying fairy folk. And I've got into that habit of interpretation as well. And I think this is because the internet, uh, and when it arrived, it accelerated this reinterpretation. There was a bit, as I say, with Celtic Romanticism, but the change was much faster than with the new printed broadsheets. And this reinterpretation became even faster again through the social media. But I'm going to step back to the she 
before there was printing and when there was just scribing. And then it seems the Xi were really describing a mound. And we got one near us. This is Xi Kornishigo, which is you can see from here, and you can see the little um, hawthorn right at the front, and this is sort of a line from the entrance of our tree labyrinth garden here. And it's because the ancient language was not focused on things. I often talk of this as well. But the language was focused on the conditions of what was going on. And the she was not actually mentioning a mound, but the word in it, when it spread out, is really explaining or trying to convey what's going on inside of this mound and see that pathway going up there. The locals call that a pathway uh, to the fairies. Uh, so it's a description of what's going on. And many people are familiar, and most of you watching will be familiar with the mythology of the Tour de Donnan, which people call the fairy race, the half-human, half-fairy race. And the storytellers describe them that way and how they made a pact with the invading Malaysians. And the Malaysians, they tell, is rolling above ground while the Tour de Danan went underground and they rolled from there. But that's a very simplistic description. What's a very profound story. And if you've watched previous Sunday sessions, you'll know I dip into fragments of that story quite frequently as it fits the subject that we're going over. So uh, between Lunasa and Soan, you'll hear me tell much more about that. But where the two of the Dunnan are said to have entered underground, they're called the Fairy Hills of Ireland. And people visiting Ireland, they love to visit them, see what this is all about, see if they can feel the she for themselves. And we've got places uh, like, uh, is this it? Yeah, Knockinini, uh, a rainbow over Knockinini, that's up uh, in Fermanagh. Uh, we've got uh, Knocknaray, uh, which is near us, uh, Sligo, that's quite famous to a lot of people. And Knocknashi, which is not that far away, that's also County Sligo. And they've recently opened a lovely uh, pathway to that. I haven't actually been up it yet, but uh, that must be a goal of the near future. But soon after the two of the Danum were underground, the Malaysians discovered they couldn't farm as well as the Danum people did. Uh, the Malaysians said in a lot of stories, they're really forest people. They were the Gale people, the original Gale people. And somehow the forests of islands were not sustaining them. So some of the stories tell of a balanced deal between the underworld to Adonan uh, to fertilize the underground roots to ensure good yields in the sun above ground for the Malaysians. And it seems to be that it's from this legend that the stories of the Shi, the Fey world, and the fairies have really evolved and come amongst us and have probably been told for at least 3,000 years now. So amongst these beings, the spirits, the entities of the underworld, uh, we have the Ishi, uh, which I've got uh, some spellings here. Uh, let's see if I can roll them up for you because uh, there's various, you'll see a Scottish version here. Oh, no, uh, Ishi, uh, they live in the Shi mountains anyway. Uh, they live on the ground. And amongst the... Um, the Book of Invasions, uh, Liber G uh, Gabale Aaron, um, is an old copy of it, a page from it. This was first scribed around the 11th century, but it doesn't seem to be clear who actually scribed this, but it's likely to have been 
a Gaelic compilation of poems and stories that scribes put together. It was obviously done uh, to enhance the wealth of the monastic community in some way. So they put together compilations of poems, stories, and put into this compendium, almost like the Old Testament of the Bible, how that would have uh, been put together. So it was kind of, in a way, uh, the best of, but it was not so much a ruling, but a, a, a guidance for the way the culture to move forward, maybe. But like the Bible, the, um, the Book of Invasions has been through several translations, each translation changing the meanings, perhaps according to the agenda of the, the patron uh, scribes. There's a, a more modern version there. And uh, we got one here, the, the Liber Gabala Aaron translations. They really are the source, the main source where storytellers, especially on social media today, get their tour de Don and Furbolg, Fomorium, Malaysian stories, how they arrived, their lifestyles on Ireland. But modern uh, scholars do question whether there was actually a Malaysian tribe, uh, on whether Malaysians was really a bunch of different tribes arriving maybe from Iberia, all of them coming that way, Turkey maybe, but they were called the Milesians to be simplified for easier storytelling. And it makes me think of the Mary, Joseph, and Jesus stories. A uh, lot of scholars are now thinking, well, that's been a, Mary, Jesus, and Joseph are really a simplified trim down from uh, what was really a large family or even a small tribe that perhaps had some shamanic heritage. And as these spirits... Um, that are our ancestors that have returned to earth. Uh, they're said to be the spirits of all nature, and they're also connected and very loyal to the earth goddess. Ah, great. Brian's here. Uh, well done. Uh, thank you for being uh, getting on board, Brian. We'll uh, come to you soon. Anyway, reading about uh, this, the uh, spirits, uh, the underworld with a goddess, to me it sounds like, as if the spirits are like a beehive all buzzing around uh, this Mother Earth. And like the beehive stories inspired by the uh, Book of Invasions, um, there's talk of a parallel world where the spirits emerge from the she-mounds and they actually mingle among us. And uh, to make stories more interesting, of course, uh, the storytellers tell of the mischief and the trickery deeds. Uh, but sadly, I fear this can move into the fear-mongering. So I try to avoid that. But that's what's popular. Of course, that's what gets attention. That's what sells. Uh, but I think it's, it's got to the point where it, it went to actually fear-mongering nature itself, such as like it's safer for people to be enclosed in a, a church for sanctuary than to be out in the woods. And out of these stories, it's, there seems to be the Ishi, uh, who are the beautiful ones, uh, like this one, <laughs> uh, but also the most temperamental, that they can actually be, they're told of as being the fierce guardians of fairy forts, uh, guardians of the hawthorn trees, guardians of the chieftain trees, and also the sacred holy wells. But perhaps the best known retaliation of this is the stolen child, which we'll be coming up to, uh, the changelings, the stories of healthy boy babies being swapped for sickly unhealthy babies 
in the middle of the night. And of course, this was made very famous by the W.B. Yeats poem, The Stolen Child. And it seems to be W.B. Yeats, in a way, that was perhaps a kind of a leader in the whole chaotic romantic movement. And uh, he was perhaps the one, all these she names, names of people that lived in the she, perhaps he was the one responsible for shortening all that into just calling them the she. But from this, uh, the stolen child, got a lovely set of pictures for you, the changing folklore, is the myth that the sons of bootleg poaching whiskey makers, they're the ones that are swapped. And so the poaching makers, well, other craftspeople as well, but it's the poaching they say because they say that maybe they're upsetting the fairies with it. So if they've got sons, they fool the she or try to fool the she or the fairies by getting their sons to wear skirts. And they've got some lovely old pictures. There's some uh, poaching maker there. But here, i got some lovely pictures here. There we go. Some of the sons there, they're wearing skirts. Uh, and this is to fool the fairies. And there's another one there. And uh, there's another one I got out of the archives there. So there we go. There are all these boys that are uh, being raised with skirts for the fairies so they're not swapped over. But as babies, uh, the cribs and the cradles of these baby sons, uh, they would have, a, I couldn't find any pictures of this, unfortunately, but a poker was kept across the crib. I'm not sure about that, but a bridged cross for protection was put on top of their blankets. All these things to try and persuade the uh, she not to steal their sons. It was all part of the fear-mongering in the she and fairy stories, I feel, all this was. But the fearful storytelling seems to get more intense when the fairy origin was not the descendants of the Tour de Danon, but of the fallen angels. Uh, and angels, these are angels thrown out of heaven for not being pure enough, but at the same time not being wicked, wicked enough for hell. So their new mission was to come back to earth, be amongst us humans, protecting nature and enforcing wrath on the people that abuse nature. And, and even in the Tour de Donan stories, they've changed them arriving on air as fallen angels too. And uh, this is there is a place quite near, well, Corona Mountains. There's two places where it says the Tour de Donan fell as uh, fallen angels. In fact, other parts of Ireland might claim the same as well. But uh, to the west of Kiju here, we have Kilronan. I haven't got a picture of that. Uh, but uh, also in County Leitrim, uh, go northeast of uh, Drumshambo, and you've got the Sleeve and Iron, iron uh, which is uh, that's famous for walking through there. There's a mass rock in there, in fact. And that's another picture of it there. And this, of course, is a place for UFO spotters uh, that love to go there. Now, for the even more scaremongering, uh, we cannot forget the ever-contemplated keening Banshee, uh, Banshee, uh, arriving to take the people to the Tiranonog, an area we are keening Banshee there. And then, uh, I love this, this is from an old story, the idea of the white she-horse riders taking the fallen to the west, to the land of youth, the land of eternity. And there's Neve uh, about to take Ocean uh, off to Tiernanog. That's a bit of a, a cartoon from that. 
Now in Scotland, she is the Binge or Binge Knee. Uh, we have these stories here in Northwest Ireland, at least. But she is the washerwoman, and uh, who in folklore she, as I say, arrived in Ireland. She became the foundation of some of the Morrigan, Monarchian stories, especially with the story of the Wooing of Dagda. But I tell that one uh, on another session. But on the west coast of Scotland and in Ireland too, and I know in the USA you've got them, you've got these beautiful orange-beaked oyster catchers, and they patrol at the edge of the sea. I love these birds. There's something quite calming uh, about them. And it's said that they are actually there to catch the spirits that have escaped from the Tiernanog and trying to return to the land. And they're there, beep, beep, whatever they do. They're calling on the white she and their horses to come and take those spirits back again. So that's the story there uh, of the oyster catchers and why they're there. And then we've got the Leon she, uh, the enchanting cruel passion uh, from a teasing fairy lover. Uh, I'll be talking about that in later Sunday sessions as well. Uh, and there's a bit of a, a fairy lover there that's ready to... Uh, tease someone. Uh, but around Ireland, uh, the underworld sheep people are said to support farmers and their yields as long as their own wild sanctuaries are not touched. The wild sanctuaries, there's a bit of Hawthorne for the Fae where they can roam. And in Scotland, they're said to not be so forgiving. Uh, they do they do not like farmers. They don't like farmers much. Here it's said in Ireland that the she are there to support the farmers, but in Scotland uh, it's said that when the farmers take away the woodland, they are amongst uh, and taking trees away. Amongst these trees, you might come across the the gillydoose she, and uh, who takes the life of farmers away who dare to take their woodlands. And I think this one comes from the pigs being a uh, farming people. And then we have the ancient Aragale, uh, Argyle was named after them. Say Aragale fast and you got Aragale, Argyle. And these people, it said, were tree people. They were uh, gales as well. And, uh, of course, we got to talk about the Kushi, the personal spirit protector, the black, dark dog spirit. Could be a wolf spirit, fox spirit. Uh, there's some actually some scary and some grand stories around those. But as much as I love the she and fairy stories, despite, despite being concerned about the increased fear-mongering, which does seem to happen, has happened through the establishment of the church, I'm personally not a believer of she individual personalities. Uh, my own belief, and we'll be covering this, well, we covered it, I think, in bulk, is water leaves our body, rejoins the she-world again through the water flowing through the earth, the holy wells, the streams, and so we let go of our individualism. But when people we know and love pass away, memories of those people do last within us forever, don't they? And there's memories of our ancestors, ancestors of our own family, ancestors of people that we've never met and lived, but we feel them. There are spaces where we go to and we feel their presence. Those memories are there and they seem to linger within us as well. So my feeling is 
what better way is there to bring those memories to life but through the medium of talking about the she? And that's great for bringing the ancestral memories forward, I think. And a lot of people say, by doing so, maybe you're entering the fairy realm. But preferably, let's do that without the fear-mongering. Let's hope respect is instinctively within us. And then we can wrap all this up uh, into uh, the creed of she, as we know in Scotland, I think it's critter here, the fairy faith, anyway. And I, I have got some spellings here, if you want to take uh, some record of this. Uh, as I say, these are the variations of the Ishi, the ones that live in the, um, the mounds. And there's the Book of Invasions I was telling you about. And Dinshi, these are the uh, spirits of our ancestors uh, that are said to roam amongst us. And then we got the Banshee, the Washerwoman, the Bean uh, Banni uh, there. And then the, uh, the fearful Gilligoo, uh, the Gilligoo Sea She, uh, who's the woodland she, as a Scottish kind of mythology. And the Cushy, the lovely Cushy, the dog spirit, wolf spirit. A lot of people can relate to the dog spirit, wolf spirit, and fox spirit. Um, anyway, I better see what you're actually saying. Um, since the time is moving on, we've got to get on to our get lovely guest. Uh, uh, yes, definitely Claire's here. And Kimberly uh, Kabaski, hello from Boston. Three weeks of camping and rowing, 226 miles of the Grand Canyon. Or go back and watch the sessions I missed. Well, I hope you met some wonderful water she down the Grand Canyon. You must have done. The memories that people have left there and the adventures there is definitely around. Uh, we have Mary here. Hello there. Uh, Thomas Robinson's back. Hello from Santa Fe. Many angels out here. Uh, Fabius, thank you all for joining as usual. Uh, some of you regular, a lot of you regulars there which is lovely. Um, now, let's not forget the uh, Sloshi. I haven't talked about those, have I? The touch of, this is the touch of fairiness within us. This is um, an illustration that was brought to us. Uh, now, let's get, uh, sorry, I'm getting on to here. This one was uh, brought uh, Charlene, uh, Charlene in the, uh, Charlene Bray, uh, in, kind of runs workshops up in um, Washington State, and that's a sort of an emblem that she has, uh, that she carries. Excuse me while I remove that uh, banner. It's uh, uh, So we have the slow she, the touch of fairiness within us, and we talked a lot about that two weeks ago as we were with Seamus and Sarah of the uh, Fairy Council of Ireland a couple of Sundays ago, and you, I know you thoroughly enjoyed that when we we should have them back again uh, very soon. And, and so going back uh, to considering the she mounds, where did they come from? Uh, some of the humans built ancient stone cairns uh, that were built on these mounds, and the construction of those, some people call them the she mounds. But they're regarded as entrances to the she, uh, to the goddess, um, there's something like uh, something like that again. Let's bring up Charlene's, and we got this, and we've also got a Rathcrown. I forget where that one is. Um, someone here might be able to remind me. We've got the Rathcrown one, but I haven't got the, uh, that one. 
Uh, one I didn't show this beautiful fairy face one uh, and going into such entrances. And But I suppose this can get a bit confusing as a lot of these ancient stone cairns were w built well before the Tour de Donna appeared. So um, maybe there were, some people believe that they were actually pushed into the mounds through these. And I showed you the um, Cornishie uh, Corniche near here, and that has the remains of a cairn on the top. So that's, as someone said, the, is the communication boxes to the she world. However, it translates that uh, the builder of the she mounds was the kayak. A lot of people talk, you know, in terms of the kayak, the kayak, who many regard, uh, there's a stone version, regard as the earth goddess. And when people today think of uh, goddess, they contemplate on wombs, fertility, the seeding of birth of new life, especially this spring, uh, any spring. And, of course, we have the shield and the gigs. Now, I've spoken long enough. Uh, maybe you might think too long for now. Uh, we've got these uh, wonderful guests. They're all lined up, ready, and we'll continue this a lot more during Tree Sanctuaries next week, Tree Sanctuaries Uncurling next Sunday. And then we've got Ferry Stories for May on 9th of May. So uh, any more uh, comments uh, joining Let's see how you're all uh, here. Thomas, you're, we've caught up with you now. So it's time my, for definitely for our first guest. And uh, let's get my earplugs for the first guest um, because we've got uh, some real treats for you this afternoon. And fabulous. Right, now, Sandra Parker, I'm going to be talking to Sandra in the moment, but first, from Sandra, let's have a fairy song from Sandra. Hello, Sandra, you're ready for the off? Yes, I'm ready for the journey into the fairy realm. Uh, Welcome to our fairy world. <laughs> Will you follow me out in the moonlight? Will you follow me to the top of the hill? Though most don't believe to those who are listening, I am calling still. And the stars shine down and the moon is high. The night wind whispers a lullaby and the Things you think are important now fade in the magic of the night. And will you follow me out in the moonlight? Will you follow me to the top of the hill? Though most don't believe to those who are listening, I am called still. Oh, I am. I was then a legend in the hearts and the minds of men standing just beyond in the shimmering mist playing merry music till the dawn. Oh, 
will you follow me out in the moonlight? Will you follow me to the top of the hill? Though most don't believe to those who are listening, I am calling still. Oh, take my hand and go with me. There are still many things you have yet to see and to never know if you won't let me. And I'll be waiting till you hear me call your name. Then will you follow me out in the moonlight? Will you follow me to the top of the hill? Though most don't believe to those who are listening, I am calling still. I am calling still. I am calling still. Oh, absolutely fabulous. And uh, that was Sandra Parker with a title track from her most recent album. Here's the cover. Uh, it's the uh, Call of the Fairy. Wow. Uh, Sandra, it's been a, a long time. Uh, at least uh, it's brilliant to at last got you on Sunday sessions. And I've known Sandra since the heydays of MP3.com, way back in the late 90s, when we didn't have social media. And we listened to, uh, the only way we could listen to the music was uh, through the famous Winamp, uh, <laughs> is how we listened to the songs. So thank you so much uh, for being with us. Uh, first of all, how's Randy doing? Oh, Randy's doing well. He's doing uh, fine. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, that, that's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the, the Call of the Fairy, what inspired you to actually come up with that? Because it's an absolute treasure of fairy-related songs, and it's a, absolutely adorable. We're going to hear one more soon but i i'd love to hear the background of this a bit well i uh, i've loved uh, celtic music and legend and fairies since i was a young girl and as i've got older i've learned more and uh, as the years passed i began to collect songs that i would hear about the fairies and actually wrote uh, a few songs uh, i wrote call of the fairy that particular song uh, it was, uh, gosh, it has been about 13 years ago. I had actually written it 10 years before I got to, to around to recording the CD. And it just seemed to be time. I think my fairy muses were kind of giving me the nudge. It's time to rec record this and create this uh, recording for people to take a journey into the fairy realm. Oh, lovely. Now, Sandra is actually, uh, you are in Tennessee, aren't you? You're actually... Uh, playing to us in Tennessee. Uh, the one thing that uh, I follow with Sandra, I haven't been yet, we haven't been yet, is this remarkable festival. Of course, you haven't been able to do this for a couple of years. But what's, what's your news on the festival that you do? That you, are you still involved very much? No, I actually retired from that festival. I, I'm, right, I, I'm right across the line from Virginia. Um, mm -hmm. We're real here, my right on the line, and this festival was in Abingdon, Virginia, and uh, it's a very old festival, multifaceted. You might hear anything from bluegrass to blues, I don't know, but 
I did start a Celtic music weekend as part of the festival, and it went on for about 20 years. And we brought a lot of great Celtic music and some uh, from the States. And actually, we come from Ireland. We had the David Band one time, but I'm retired now. I've put in enough volunteer time for that festival. Ah, fantastic. And uh, now uh, I gave you time to come out because there's always a long time between your albums, and this is uh, certainly the most spectacular. Are you, are you, how is your composing at the moment? Was Are you finding yourself composing more during this uh, kind of lockdown-ish time? I have uh, written some instrumental pieces. Um, I'm beginning to get some ideas about, you know, where I want to go with the next recording. Uh, looking forward to getting back into the studio. I have some some names for the recording kind of, you know, swirling around. Uh, it may seem odd to some people, but I, you know, I grew up here in the bluegrass, what we call the bluegrass belt. And my dad played in bluegrass bands. He played the mandolin, the guitar, a little banjo, a little fiddle. He was all self-taught, and he loved bluegrass. And he would have loved for me to sound like Dolly Parton or Loretta Lynn, and I just it just didn't work out that way. He loved the bluegrass, and I began to love the Celtic and folk from a child, from a very early age. And I have to credit my my wonderful elementary school music teacher for that because she introduced us to ty all types of music. And I remember she introduced us to that beautiful song, Over the Sea to Sky. And I think that's where my love of Celtic music started. Oh, fabulous. We, uh, Sherry, one of our regulars, uh, Sherry Murphy, thanks you uh, for the music. And uh, uh, it is. It's, uh, and I gather you've got uh, one more for us. Uh, you can give us one more song from that beautiful Call of the Fairy album. Uh, if you can introduce it, it'd be lovely to. Here you play that. Okay, uh, this one uh, is, is actually a traditional song called the Fairy's Love Song. And I will take just a second to mention if anybody is interested in my music, uh, it's available for a digital download through Amazon Music. And it's also accessible through most of the music apps. You would just uh, search for me and call of the fairy. This is the Fairy's Love Song. And you know, there were fairies courting mortals in a lot of these stories. Uh, there were romances going on, and uh, most of them didn't turn out well. But this is about a fairy woman who is sitting on the bank, impatient for her mortal lover to come and entertain her. Why should I sit and sigh, pulling bracken, pulling bracken? Why should I sit and sigh on the hillside dreary? When I see the plover rising, or the curlew wheeling, then I know my mortal lover back to me is Why should I sit and sigh, pulling bracken, pulling bracken? Why should I sit and sigh on the hillside dreary? Oh, but there is something wanting, oh, but I am weary. Come, my blithe and bonny laddie, for the noon to cheer me. 
bracken Why should I sit and sigh on the hillside tree? When the moon begins her waning, I sit by the water where the one born in the sunlight loved the fairy's daughter. Oh, why should I sit and sigh, pulling bracken, pulling bracken? Why should I sit and sigh on the hillside dreary? On the hillside dreary. Ah, well, to actually uh, get to hear you live, I, I've listened to the album several times, but to actually see you perform, despite the in and out of the harp sound, that's just absolute magic. It brings the album to life. So thank you so much for joining us. And I'm sure uh, people that were with us this afternoon, people a lot more who are going to be listening this evening and beyond, and Barbara Smith here. Uh, absolutely loving it. Uh, it's a wonderful contribution. It's lovely this is going to be archived. So thanks very much. Uh, uh, despite the sound problems we got through, your voice sounded remarkable, lovely interview. So thanks for being with us, and I hope we got an excuse to bring you back again. So yeah. thanks very much, Sandra. That was absolutely gorgeous. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, hang on. We're going to have a, a bit of um, uh, a kind of questions and answers. If you can hang on for that, uh, we are going to run a bit late, uh, but after uh, Brian, after Claire, we'll have a questions and answers a, a panel session. So thank you again. Hopefully we'll come back and we'll talk to you again. Thanks. Right. Um, next up, uh, songs and harps. What about the harp maker? It's all part of the uh, process of, I suppose, communicating with the she, definitely communicating with the she within us, our bit of fairiness within us, and look at that, so Sandra definitely bringing out uh, the fairiness uh, with inside her. <laughs> and uh, I hope that encourages all. But what I love, uh, Brian Callan's coming up, harp maker. Um, Brian started as a cabinet maker for many years before actually making harp. So he got a, an incredible sensitivity for wood and how to use wood. He really tunes into the wood and the various tree species. You go to his website, and you've got a choice of different trees uh, and all the different sounds of that. Uh, so uh, it seems natural that uh, for him to engage with wood and get into the whole process of wood species for the different tone. So it's going to be a great pleasure in a moment to have Brian talk to us for a few minutes about wood, heart making, and the passions of his craft. So let's bring on uh, Brian now. Hello, Brian. Thank you for joining us. How, uh, are we all loud and clear, I hope? John, how are you doing? Thanks for Oh, you're me. very clear. Fantastic. Uh, Cole, where do we actually start? I mean, the thing that grabbed about your heart making um, is how, you know, this association you have for many years with the wood before you even made a harp. And to me, it's like the the harp is a manifestation of your relationship with wood. Uh, would that be a, a, an honest assessment? 
Uh, it, it would be, John, absolutely, yes. Um, I certainly build up a, a relationship with, with, with the tree even, even before it's, it's, it's planked in some cases. So a lot of energy is, is going I, into it. And uh, the other fascinating thing is the fact that you moved from the north there into Crockwell, uh, down there, it is County Galway, isn't it? And you're like 30 minutes away uh, from uh, uh, the, uh, where the famous Kafaki mark uh, harps were made. Uh, are you familiar with yes. Paddy Kafaki harps? Yeah, Paddy. Paddy's a good friend and has has become a good friend over over the over the years since I since I started. He would have been one of the first harp makers I would have went to and sought some advice on because he's he's only about seven or eight kilometers, five or six yes. miles from where I live. Uh, it was just fascinating because he's retired now, and it, it's so lovely that you popped up in the area with your own expression, your own harp making, and a very profound to me a very profound expression of Irish harps. And it's uh, just looking at what you've done, absolutely uh, beautiful. Uh, what actually inspired you to uh, to actually get into harp making in the first place from your carpentry work? Yeah, well, look at from, from I was always interested in in the harp from from a woodwork point of view, not so much from a musical point of view. Um, so, but I kind of put that aside for many years because I was I was cabinet making, and then I went into woodwork teaching. It was only when my my two boys started music and started exploring different instruments that I kind of uh, reignited my, my interest in, 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 in harps and kind of having a go at, at making one. Oh, fabulous. And now I, I did read somewhere that your uh, wife is a musician. Is she a harp player? Um, well, it's an ex-wife now at this stage, John. So, oh, sorry, <laughs> uh, uh, I put my foot in it. Sorry, <laughs> not at all, not at all, not at all, not at all. Yeah, but she, she played music, um, and that's how the boys are 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 so so musical. There's a lot of music in in the family, so they, they play a wide range of instruments. Because that's a, a question I uh, have is. Uh, Going from being a carpenter, do you play the harp much yourself, or is this something that's evolved since you're playing? I, yeah, well, I, I started making harps ten years ago, and I, I got lessons uh, more or less straight away while I was making them to 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 have a better understanding of how they work and um, what needs to be uh, what needs to be done in regards of tuning and that. But my practice, unfortunately, in harp playing has has dwindled. But I can I can knock out a couple of tunes um, with making many mistakes but it's, it's more for my own entertainment than anyone else's this seems to be actually a, a trend with uh, harp makers i don't think paddy cavalcade ever got around to playing the harp much and when we were on uh, i was on a tour with uh, claire roach who we got in a moment and uh, there was a place in north carolina and uh, she needed to borrow uh, a folk harp uh, for some of the songs she did and there was um Bryson City, a very small place there, and there was a minister, church minister, who uh, it was just a hobby of his to um, make furniture. He made one harp, most beautiful sounding harp ever, and he hadn't got a clue about playing this. So uh, it's amazing, the harp player making the instrument for the player. I just find that whole concept that you've got 
your passion is in putting that wood together, making that instrument, and then it's the player who discovers it. I find that whole thing uh, quite beautiful, quite moving. Yeah. Now, the, uh, one thing also I love about going to your website there, I did, uh, let's throw it back up again, uh, is that is the way you've priced it so that anybody really could get a harp. You have a very fair price beginner's harp, and then it goes up. People can make the request, their wood, engravings, the number of strings. But as I uh, said, asked before, um, is um, can you introduce your starter, your wee starter harp uh, for us? Uh, do you have that present with you? Um, I I don't, John. I'm actually I'm actually in a different house today. I kind of I forgot I was I was I was heading off. To oh dear. I came without the house. Well, Sorry, John. Not a problem because uh, let's see. Uh, for the folks here, I've got something. Um, this is a sample uh, of uh, the 26 string harp uh, that was made by. So there we go, a backup there uh, for one of your harps. Uh, I kind of nicked that off of your website. But uh, I think that just sounds beautiful, you know, beginner's harp. Uh, what's the pricing of that? I know it's quite low. Yeah, well, they, it, for, for the very basic model without the levers, they started around 400 euro or 390 euro. Um, oh, it's, uh, yeah, that's uh, fabulous to be able to do that. Um, now, I'm, I'm just seeing... Uh, we're going to have a, a panel thing, but if you can throw any questions, anyone, uh, anyone uh, uh, here, there's just a lot of wonderfuls and magicals, uh, and so. Uh, but yes, so it's uh, Brian Callan there, and uh, oh, it's lovely that you could be with us, Callan Harps. Do go to that website and uh, do look at the harps. Play that YouTube again, and. Uh, Brian, it's it's been a pleasure to actually have a heart maker. And we got you off of the the site for um, it was the Fairy Council. I saw you you're on the Fairy Council site yes. there, uh, Fairy Council of Ireland, and uh, be, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see your hearts selves. Uh, and anybody who's got the opportunity, uh, contact Brian because uh, I don't think there are other heart makers uh, around Ireland. But I'm just very impressed with what you're doing and what you're presenting, how you're presenting it. So thanks for being there, and thanks for being amongst the harpists. And I imagine you get to as many festivals as you can when you're allowed to. Yeah. Uh, as it makes yourself present. So do hang on. We'll have a panel session with people a bit later, but thanks for being here. So hold on for a bit more. Thanks really very much, thanks. Brian. Thanks. thanks. Oh, uh, lovely. It's, it's a real treat to have a harp maker. Brian, it's... Um, as I say, sorry we couldn't see more of the hearts, but I'm sure that sample gave you a great, uh, good idea. So go to callanharps.com. And um, 
so uh let's see from the comments uh let's show what are you saying at the moment there's a few people that have just been that love the, the there's tina i knew you'd like her. tina's uh a husband he's a woodworker as well so there's a huge appreciation on that uh <laughs> maybe johnny can make harps as well but uh let's see he's is well tied with what he does anyway. Uh, Brian Sherry, hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll bring this up at the panel, the best wood or your favorite. Yeah, let's talk about wood. I'm bringing you back again uh, because um, Sherry is saying your favorite wood. My favorite wood would have to be, well, I have two favorites. Uh, would be you or um, Sally Wood, the willow. Right. Uh, very, very, um, very, very magical tones, John. Now, the, there's very few heart makers that seem to work with you. So that's a fantastic thing. And, of course, the chieftains, as you probably know, that was uh, the chieftains only allowed their own harps, their own bards to have the you. Everybody else had to use the rowan, I gather, or something similar. But I appreciate you were saying about the salads, the willow, because of the sound, the, the sound and also the stories uh, amongst that. Uh, you make sound boxes with the willow, I assume. I do. Yeah, yeah. It's now it's 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 very difficult to get large quantities of of sally wood. Um, I just don't. I won't use regular willow. It has to be sally. Great. Um, yes. Or the tone, but again, it's very very difficult to get. Oh, that's a surprise because uh, I suppose that's that is the native wood, and uh, in fact, I wouldn't say nuisance, but we have a a willow cairn in the middle of the tree lamp. And usually I do these Sunday sessions from that. And the problem there is when the trees get old, they get wide. So that's probably the thing you're looking for uh, because they are originally uh, the Sally ones. But uh, I can appreciate to actually get something for art making, it'd have to be a very mature tree. But when people are thinking of weaving, so that's fascinating. But to the fact you work with you what's it like working with you is it hard wood to work with uh um, it's it, it's tricky enough now well it, first of all the the dust of it is very poisonous so it's um you, you need a lot of ventilation and you're constantly wearing a mask of um, course uh, it's you know it's, it's it's it is quite quite lovely to work with uh, a little bit brittle uh-huh well that's that's well thanks for asking that sherry uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, and we've got Davina uh, come through. Do get to the beginning uh, to say hello. Uh, Willow is one of my favorite trees. Glad you're doing this, John. Can watch much later. Yes, we've. Uh, it's been fabulous so far. And we've got more to come. So great for being here. And uh, Tina, I was thinking something <laughs> inspired. Uh, some sort, of course, some sort of musical instrument. But I just love the passion that Brian has uh, with that. Uh, so thanks. Uh, the, the association with wood and the wood association with she and the fae all ties up together. Now, moving on, uh, very important uh, moving on. We definitely could not complete this uh, she Sunday session without a stolen child. And, of course, to, uh, to sing stolen child for us. We would uh, definitely have to have uh, Claire Roach uh, for this, um, and I'm just trying to get to my 
my stuff here. Uh, where are we? I'm getting, I'm losing myself here. Uh, so yeah, the stole as I say, talking about the stolen child by W. B. Yeats. So it's always wonderful to have Claire Roach uh, perform this for us. So let's say hello to Claire. She's here somewhere. Hello, Claire. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Claire's turned into a wardrobe. Hello, Claire. Are you around? Hello. <laughs> You're on, Claire. There she is. <laughs> Hello. You're back. <laughs> How are you doing? Hello, John. Hello. Can right. you hear me? It's uh, you're very sort of broken up, uh, and uh, it is actually for this reason. Uh, uh, Claire is actually yes. here to introduce the stolen child because her internet does come in and out, and uh, so she delightfully recorded uh, this for us yesterday, so you could actually have it uh, live because it's so precious. But Claire's here to introduce the stolen child to you and explain a bit about it. So see what how you can cover it. You got lots of somewhere you are. Yes, John. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're very broken up. Uh, can you hear me? Uh, you got very poor signal. Yes. Yes, I don't know why. And um, I'll move inside. Is it because you're outside? Um, and the signal that is not that strong outside. I think. Is that any better? A little bit, any but all, uh, vocally, yes. Okay. No, you're gone well, again. Look, I, I do. Let's. Hello. Any better? Not really. <laughs> uh, you can't just step inside Hello? and get a stronger signal. Okay, I was yeah, hoping I'm, Claire I'm could now. introduce. Right. Well, uh, the the visual is you outside. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna well, sort I'm of turn in. the. <laughs> right. What I'm gonna do is I think if I can, uh, is try and. No, I think you'd have to do. That. I was trying to get rid of the video, but I can't do that and keep you on just audio. Yeah. Uh, but I think you have to knock the video off. Well, You can't hear me. Oh, now. so if you could if you could introduce the stolen child to us, we'll we'll run it. Okay. Well, I was very fortunate to be in Sign Hill, uh, where we had a wonderful teacher in uh, Sign Hill College, Dublin, uh, Miss O'Brien, and she introduced us to the work of W. B. Yeats. And as soon as I was able, I had to see where these exquisite places were uh, that he described in his work. And of course, any of you that have gone to Glen Carr will immediately feel, yes, it is full of exquisite nature and fairies. You can just see it there. But um, I suppose rather than go on too long, um, I think it never would lose its resonance or relevance because many people are away with the fairies. Um, I often think people who feel they have to leave uh, 
the fairy could be a good thing or maybe as you said in your earlier presentation something fading them away to another path of life um, but I absolutely love it. I hope I have honoured the song and D Michael Yates, the son of W.B. Yeats, gave me the permission many years ago uh, before the copyright was uh, over to record. So that was a great honour. So I really hope people think I have honoured the song and the exquisite descriptions within. So bye bye. <laughs> Okay, well, here is Claire Roach with the uh, stolen child. Thank you. 
So there we go, the beautiful stolen child there uh, with Claire Roche. And uh, thank you for that, Claire. Absolutely uh, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> you seem a little mesmerized yourself there by it. <laughs> so thanks uh, very much for that. Uh, and now, everyone, um, it's uh, we'll have a bit of panel time. Uh, do fire away your questions. Uh, well, we've got uh, Claire on the uh, board here. Uh, yes, we've still got Claire. I'm trying to get everybody on board here. Sandra's here, Claire's here, and uh, we've got Brian here. So fire away your questions uh, with me, Claire, Sandra, and Brian on uh, questions and thoughts and feelings about the she, about the harp the association of the harp with the fairies, with the she, with the fairy world, and the whole process of making a harp and including all this in your life. So uh, got a few minutes for your comments and questions uh, from you all that are still here, and there's plenty of you here, which is very nice. Uh, so let's see what questions and comments. You're probably still all mesmerized and enchanted by the stolen world there. Uh, there's, uh, like, Sherry, uh, beautiful, so talented. Tina, absolutely love and motive throughout. And Patricia Rice there from Vancouver Island. Um, and uh, one thing uh, we've been trying uh, in several sessions. Sorry, Sherry, we'll get the, the service of the king on board. Uh, 
when we've had uh, Sherry as a guest, something has turned up. So we got plenty of she stuff. In service of the king is definitely going to get a prime position on Sunday sessions as soon as we can. Uh, so a couple of minutes uh, open still for your uh, uh, for your questions until I tell you what's coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, don't be shy now. Uh, uh, because it's been absolutely fabulous with these uh, range of guests here. You've gone very quiet. You've gone very quiet. So it's really thank you uh, for all of you uh, being here. You watch this, all the questions that's not coming in now. Uh, we get this sometimes. Uh, so thank you very much. I will. Uh, I better move on. Well, I'm going to, just in case there is a question, I'm going to put myself on to tell you what's uh, coming up. As I say, uh, with this, uh, it's this is all brought to you by uh, your sponsoring. Thank you um, for uh, sponsoring, as I say, subscribing to the Sunday sessions through your Patreon subscriptions covers the cost of the Sunday sessions. And I'm sl still slowly developing the She Water and Folklore course for you subscribers. Uh, but coming up on the Sunday sessions, uh, this is the stuff. Next week, Tree Sanctuary Uncurling, and uh, get to a uh, thing with that. A couple of weeks ago, we had the Tree Sanctuary making, and so because that was towards the end of the tree planting, and we talked about the assembly and the maintenance of the Tree Sanctuary. Next week is Wire Tree Sanctuary, uh, the purpose of it, the importance of it in our lives. As I start this session off, of course, uh, with the idea of uh, of you taking the folklore as a sort of an instrument uh, for contemplating on local nature-based folklore and using that to inspire you. And from that inspiration, just write things down uh, and it could become your poem. And it's amazing how many times you can contemplate in your sanctuary you're, you're at last making nature connection because we're wired the whole time. I'll be talking about that and continuing a bit more about the, uh, the Fae world, the She world through that. So it's a more relaxed tree sanctuary uncurling because the leaves are becoming out. And we got such a fabulous forecast next Sunday. Hopefully it will be in the, uh, in, in the Willow Cairn. The leaves will be out. A sunny, warm, 15 degrees sunny. Six, uh, yeah, 60 degrees sunny for next Sunday is the forecast. Let's hope we'll keep to that. So that'll be a fabulous session. And then on the 25th of uh, April, we're going on to some gardens that'll be well underway. We're going on to food sovereignty versus food security, the little things you can do with the land or and definitely with your allotments, even with community, even you've got to keep the distance and the mass, what we can still do. But food sovereignty versus food security. There was a lot of dialogue last year, so that's coming back. And then one that people love is the 2nd of May. That's our uh, Beltana holiday, and we'll be there with all the folklore and the Beltana flowers, the Maybush folklore, uh, the Hawthorne might be thinking of coming out. The Bluebells will certainly be out. Uh, so that is on uh, the 2nd of May. So let's have a look at uh, your passing comments here. Um, what have we got? Um, 
Uh, there's Tina Rock would love, can we visit the workshop studio? I would say the best thing uh, for that uh, is go to the website and uh, they, uh, and contact Brian. But let's, Brian, say something about that. Uh, about visiting your workshop, uh, Brian. Oh, yes, absolutely. Everyone's welcome, John. And it's a must, especially if you're, if you're definitely considering to, to buy a harp. Um, to come and, and see the see the wood and see how it's put together and and build up a, a relationship with with uh, with the with the workshop and and see exactly what what suits your your needs you know yeah definitely that's wonderful and then there was sherry who said do you actually spend time with the tree that you are harvesting from what I see you you've actually you seem to use fallen trees am I right what's your answer to that one yeah I I, I never. I've never put down a tree for specific use of the harp making. It's it's windfallen, and it's it's most of it's in in and around my area within four or five kilometers. So I would have I would have I would have spent a bit of time walking around some of the trees wh where they were growing until the wind had had taken them down. You know, that is a deep relationship. <laughs> in a way, it's uh, intriguing going around the woodlands by where you live. That whole idea. Uh, that you're waiting for its life to be uh, at its end, which to you is its harvest time. That whole process, that's that's very magical. That's very she in its own right. It's lovely to hear that. I mean, that's a very precious thing because any other harp maker will just, just try and buy some wood and make a harp. With you, yeah. it's the whole process. Uh, uh, yeah. It's like the harp is the putting the cream on the, <laughs> on the top. I, I just love that. Well, thanks for sharing that one. Uh, that's wonderful, Brian. Thanks. Uh, Any more? Um, yes, there's um, Candice is filling the unicorns this hour. Uh, where do you? <laughs> I don't want to go into the unicorn one for the moment. We might have bring that in another Sunday session. Uh, maybe when we got Sherry on that, she'll probably uh, talk to us a little bit on unicorns. Um, so that uh, that is uh, wonderful. Any more questions from you? Uh, it is. Thank you uh, for the amazing guests uh, today. Uh, so Sandra Parker, lovely couple of fairy songs there. Brian with his association to wood and uh, the hearts is uh, really stunning. And uh, Claire Roach. Uh, so it's been a fabulous session. Thank you so much. And if you're watching this uh, after this uh, broadcast. Um, and as an archive, which I know a lot of people come on in the evenings and they come on uh, the following day and through the week. Keep the comments coming. I'll still look and I'll still answer uh, these comments. Subscribe and click the bell icons on YouTube and Facebook. They will remind you of details of the next Sunday sessions. Uh, thanks very much. So it's really, uh, if let's have a look, uh, any last moment uh, comments. Thank you. Uh, uh, Patricia Tina Seri and uh, Johnny Gathers Carvins locally and uh, uh, brilliant on that work uh, there. So uh, enjoy your uh, a very safe week uh, full of wonder, inspirations, enchantments. And so thank you for being with us until next Sunday. Play well. It's been lovely. So bye-bye to everybody. Bye.
Well, thank you, everyone. That was thank you for being here again. Uh, this put me off, uh, and we'll, hopefully, we'll all see you again sometime. Thank you very much. And bye bye. Thank you, John. It was beautiful. Nice to meet you. I can't, oh, can't remember your name, but your beautiful heart. I'd like to get my hands on one day. <laughs> Music and bless you guys and girls. And you, all of you, it's lovely. It's hard to say bye-bye, but I'll better say bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>